0: Well, now we will uh, read from God's Word, and uh, tonight's reading is Romans uh, chapter 2, so if you want to follow along, starting from verse 1. You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism, All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law, and all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, then they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts sometimes accusing them and at other times even defending them. This will take place on the day when God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares.
1: Well, good day everybody. We're echoing a bit here. I think, i am I using lectin or? lapel. My name's Paul, if we haven't met before. It's very echoey. (laughs) Hello, echo, echo, sorry. Um, Yeah, so I'm I'm one of the pastors here at Soho Bible Church, if haven't met before, Um, it'd be great to have a chat afterwards. Um, And it's my great privilege to share a bit from God's Word tonight with you. But before we do that, first I want to tell you about another story that I have about my time in Russia. If you may or may not know that my family lived there for a number of years and were working with the church. Now you could always tell when someone important was coming to town. Because suddenly, the road markings on the main streets were given a fresh coat of paint. And any building that was on the main drag, well, they would be given a spruce up. And if there was no time to do that, then they actually would be able to put up a whole... Um, facade to hide any sort of crumbling room behind it. I have a couple of examples here on screen for you to see. You can see uh, one side of the building is nicely painted and fresh, and yet the other side, well, it's how you're going. And then, if it was really bad, um, that's actually in Kiev, um, but again, former Soviet Union is much the same. If it was really bad, well, then just stick up one of these um, big paintings of a building and hopefully that would hide uh, what was ugly behind. Now it often made me think, um, how would the visiting dignitary be impressed by this? I mean, for it was a, a physical respectability that was quite literally skin deep. The reality was that so much of the town had actually been left in ruins, mostly due to incompetent and corrupt leadership. And yet there they were, the local politicians basking proudly in the light of these facades. Now we might chuckle, and or shake our head, at shoddy attempts to uphold a physical facade, but uh, there is nothing funny about a moral facade. You know, the effort to be outwardly respectable, but inwardly a rebel. To be uh, publicly holy, yet privately sinful. Now, there aren't many things that can actually get people fired up more than when they start complaining about moral hypocrisy. And I tell you, friends, God gets fired up about it too. As we read uh, that short reading from Romans tonight, um, there was nothing really subtle about that. I mean, verse 5 talks about the day of God's wrath, and the way it finishes off is by God uh, judging people's secret thoughts. It's very blunt and direct, very straight, confronting language. So before we come to this passage and actually unpack it a little bit more, we really do need to pray, don't we? We need to pray for God's help, that he would help us to understand and obey his word. So let's uh, pray now. Dear Heavenly Father, we humbly admit that we do need your help. Uh, In so many ways, we find ourselves falling short of your expectation. And so, Lord, we do pray you would help us tonight to hear what can be a hard word uh, and to respond to it correctly, rightly to be humble before you and be willing to obey and it's in Jesus' name we pray, Amen Well, um, the sobering words of judgment in our reading tonight actually follow on from chapter 1 in Romans which actually highlights what is the very root cause of our broken and fallen and messed up world It talks about the root cause being that we, all of humanity, has turned its back upon God. And now giving up on God actually had a moral dimension of suppressing the truth. And so it led to God turning his back on us, or actually, as it's put three times in the chapter, God gives us over to. God gives us over to. God gives us over to the wickedness that we wanted to do. And so, as you read through Romans 1, it really feels that you're looking at the rebel, the rebel in capital letters, you know, the kind of blatant, in your face wrongdoer, the defiant fish shaker, the headline maker. But we know that wrongdoings are not always confined to the blatant rebels, don't we? And God condemns the wickedness of of the rebel, but he also condemns the secret sins of the respectable and the religious. Now I don't know where you might be located on the spectrum of respectable to rebel. I guess we could be dotted all the way along that line, but I reckon here tonight at at church a lot of us would be probably thinking we're probably on the respectable end of the spectrum And being respectable often comes with a temptation, doesn't it? It comes with a temptation to become complacent, especially when comparing ourselves to others. By pointing out the sins of others, the the respectable person can actually avoid their own guilt or lessen it. It allows us to stand on high moral ground and to wear the label respectable even good. But in this passage tonight, God exposes this moral facade. Have a look at verse 1 here, I've got it on the screen for us. You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now, you don't have to be religious to be like this. There are many who are just respectable. Respectable. But it's actually what people really hate the most about religious types, is it not? It's what you you get read through the papers again and again. What gets under their skin is the religiously respectable, pointing the finger at others and yet doing the very same things themselves. Well, it gets under God's skin as well. Have a look at verse 2 to 3. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. I think there's another script on the reading up here. Next one along. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you'll escape God's judgment? Passing judgment as if we're God, yet we're just mere humans living in sin. That's the, that's the hypocrisy. This says there's no room for a smug, complacent respectability. But isn't it so easy to do? As I said before, the pointing out of the sins of others uh, makes us feel a little bit better about ourselves. It hits very close to home. I'm not talking about the person sitting next to you. I'm talking to you and to me. There isn't anybody here who has a vocabulary that doesn't include like, the idea of should not, or ought not, or must not. And when we speak like that, well, we're saying that there's right and wrong, and, and holiness, that matters. So there's a responsibility that comes with that, and there's a, an accountability that must be faced. Now friends, I mean, words of judgment are, are, are never easy to hear. But in today's relativistic, unconditionally inclusive society, words of judgment are especially repulsive. Especially repulsive. Indeed, some of the so-called wickedness that gets listed out in Chapter 1 of Romans, well, some would say they're not even considered a punishable crime. There's nothing wrong with those things. Furthermore, I mean, you could actually go on to say that Many people have said that the talk of judgment goes against God's character, God's loving character. And so in the end, because God is love, he will not condemn. He he won't condemn anybody, irrespective of what they believed. They will be saved by God. It's a view that's been around for a while, In the church, amongst theologians, it's called universalism. The idea that everyone will be saved, no matter who they are. And as you can imagine, I mean, that sounds great in a world that is so easily offended by judgment. The problem is, um, if you want to defend this type of theory, well, you actually have to start to ignore and put to one side huge slabs of the Bible, and you end up holding a very different view about God and Jesus than what we see in the Bible. Now, I'm not going to unpack this whole theological theory tonight. If you want to chat about it, we can have, talk about it later tonight and maybe fall asleep early. Um, but basically, if you want to do this, I can, under, I can appreciate the, 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 tr- the dilemma that comes with bringing together the idea of God's love and God's judgment. It goes beyond our understanding. But friends, really, is this very much surprise? For when we, mere dust, try to understand the maker and sustainer of the universe, there's going to be times when our mind starts to boggle and it's a bit hard to understand. And so what's the correct posture when we come to this sort of topic? What's the correct posture? Well, the tr- position that I try to hold, and I think what I think most of us here in this church will try to hold, is a posture of humility before god 's word, where the teaching on salvation is actually very, very clear: God in His love has made one way of salvation for all humanity, without expression, without, without exception, and this is bound up in faith in Jesus Christ and in him alone. And so, as we return to the scriptures, we see the fulfilment of justice and the warning to repent while you still have time. It can be be so frustrating to, to see people getting away with wickedness. But the Bible is telling us here that there will be no escape. And so, don't be the one that thinks, well, hey, I've gotten away with it so far, I think I'll take my chances. Have a look at verse 4 here on the screen. Verse 4. Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance and patience, not realising that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Earlier I mentioned that God's present judgement was actually to give us over to our wrongdoing, to give us over to what we wanted to do. He leaves us in our wickedness and then rather than zapping us immediately off the face of the planet the problem is we exploit this kindness and patience and we get used to our sin. Have you ever noticed how easy it is to actually push against your conscience and how it changes over time? So when you do something wrong for the first time, there's an awful sense of guilt and unease. But the more you do it, the easier it gets to push against it. And then with time it feels that, well, it doesn't really matter at all. Over the last few years we've had learner drivers in our household, and um, we've discovered that it's possible to drive with a handbrake on In the car. At first, there is a terrible noise, um, but if you keep going, which you can, you've actually will burn the brake out. And if you keep going, you'll thankfully know that we haven't destroyed the car totally. But um, if you persist, you can burn out and sear away your brakes altogether. And of course, then what what happens then? Well, the the brake's not going to hold the car at all. So in the same way, don't burn out your moral handbrake that stops you from going off into a spiral of wickedness. Friends, don't think it's okay to keep on sinning. Here's another driving analogy. Just because you've driven through a red light and you haven't hit anything, don't imagine it's fine to be able to do it again and again. And again. Look at verse 5 here on the screen here. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. Now, friends, if you're anything like me, you'll know how easy it is to presume upon God's patience. To think, well, perhaps I'll deal with that sin a bit later. Maybe tomorrow. Maybe next week. Presuming on God's patience is actually storing up wrath. God has set a day. It is in his diary when inescapable justice will be revealed. No exemptions. All will come before the judgment seat of God. Have a look at verse 6 here on the screen. Verse 6. God will repay each person according to what they have done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honour and immortality he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil there will be wrath and anger. Now It's interesting here that actually this verse here talks about people being judged upon what they will do. Now, if you've been coming to church long enough, certainly to an Anglican church like this, you would build your faith upon trust and righteousness that comes by faith, by holding on to Jesus. What's this talk about being judged by what you do? Well, um, we'll come back to one of those purple passages about righteousness by faith. If we go flip back a little bit earlier in Romans, Paul writes this on on the screen from Romans chapter 1. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God that has brought salvation to everyone who believes. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith. From first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. That is true. But it's no good imagining that we can just turn up to Judgment Day um, and counter to all the evidence of what we've done by appealing to simply an invisible feeling of faith in my heart. God expects that faith will actually be shown up by what we do, by how we live. And the reality is not measured in what you profess. The reality is not measured by what creeds you say, what songs you sing, what statements you make, but actually by persistence in what you do and persistence in doing good. We can see verse 6 and 8 again up on the screen. Thanks, Steve. To be people whose hearts and minds are set on glory, honour and immortality. To have a genuine desire to, deep within, to live on earth in light of heaven, to be men, women of God, where His glory is our concern. The honour that comes from Him is their goal. Friends, good works are the mark of faith. It's the same right through Scripture, they are evidence of the saving faith that's within. But of course from this verse here we see there's another side of the story, isn't there? On the other hand there are those who are self-seeking who reject the truth and follow evil and waiting that is wrath and anger. There are those whose lives are marked out by self-seeking interests, only looking out for their own, looking out for number one. It's when my desires come ahead of God's commands when my needs come ahead of others. Friends, this passage, and indeed the whole Bible, is very, very clear. There's only two alternatives for everyone, whether you're a Jew or whether you're a Greek or a non-Jew. But so often we suffer to the universal human tendency to introduce a third way, usually one that fits me, one where I can build an impressive facade that looks impressive to others, Now, you might be good at pulling the wool over other people's eyes, but you can't do that with God. As our reading finished tonight, God tells us that there will be a day when he will judge even secret thoughts of people through Jesus Christ. Friends, there are no secrets hidden from God. You may be able to keep your dark thoughts to yourself, but God knows them guilty deeds done in private are actually acted out before God God knows your browser history before you sanitise it our passage today friends is watertight, there is no escape, no exemptions, no favourites no secrets this is God's justice and so what can save us? because we're nailed aren't we? We're nailed. What can save us from the coming wrath? And that's why we're doing this series "On the Cross. Moving forward, just a few chapters in Romans. we read this in chapter five here on the screen. You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly die. Dare to die. That God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we're still sinners, Christ died for us. I think we just want to go back one screen, thanks, Dale. Backwards, one screen. Yeah, that's it. That was it. We'll get there. That's it? No, no, I don't think it is. go. <laughs> Somewhere on there, we've got Romans chapter 5. It talks about, um, here's a, it's a love that breaks all the rules. You see, when we were at our worst, God gave us his best. I'll say that again. When we were at our worst, God gave us his best. And God's love is seen not just in the fact that his son died for us while we were enemies, God's love is seen in the outworking of that death for us. We see it stated in verse 9, chapter Romans 5, verse 9. Yep, there it is, tops. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? You see, at the cross, all our sins that actually had been storing up the wrath of God are taken by Jesus. And then they are left there at the cross, never to be used against us anymore. By Jesus' blood we are washed clean. And so there is no sin left in us that can be used on the day of judgment. That's what the Bible means by saying we are justified by his blood. And if you're in Christ Jesus, you can know what God will say to you on that last day. If you're united to Christ, the verdict is not guilty. And God wants us to be assured of this. And so we see there in verse 9 that how much more statement, that how much more phrase, what's being said there is if God can do the hard thing by allowing his son to die in our place while we're enemies, well then of course he will save you on the last day now that you are no longer an enemy but a friend. Friends, this is a love that we don't deserve. But it's a love that we cannot lose once we are in union with Christ. And to properly understand this love, we first have to accept that ugly verdict, don't we? We need to humble ourselves, admit that we need his help, that without Jesus we are powerless in our sin, And we stand as enemies before God. It's a hard thing to say. But you have to admit it. But then we can accept his love. That he died for you. If you've never done that before, why not do that now? Any day is a good day to receive the love of God. But today especially would be a good day receive the love of God today will be a perfect day to embrace Jesus' love for you because if saying no to this we're facing his wrath that's why it's such an important decision let's close in prayer, let's pray dear God we accept the verdict that we have been ungodly that we've been sinners and we stand as enemies of you. Lord, thank you so much for loving me and allowing your son to die in my place. Thank you, Jesus, for taking all our sins at the cross. Thank you that I can be sure about my forgiveness and that I will stand as your friend on the last day. Lord, please help us to have hearts and minds that are set on your glory so that we might walk in the good works that you have prepared in advance for us to do. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.